This is your daily real estate syndication show, and I am your host, Whitney Sewell. Today is a highlight show that's packed with value from different guests around a specific topic. Don't forget to like and subscribe, but also go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up to start investing in real estate today. I hope you enjoy the show. Are you about to start a podcast or producing a podcast and tired of doing the editing yourself? We have produced over 1,000 daily shows and the production team that I've created, they're now available to produce shows for you as well. We can do as little or as much as you need from finding and communicating with guests, preparing introductions, to editing the audio and video. You will sound better, have a more professional presence, and be able to spend your time doing other valuable tasks on your business. Let me know you're interested by emailing me directly at Whitney at LifeBridgeCapital.com. Our guest is Trevor Crow. Thanks for being on the show, Trevor. Hey, Whitney. Thanks for having me. Trevor founded Crow Legal LLC to deliver sophisticated and practical legal solutions to companies, their founders, and investors, and has done so for the last 10 years. Trevor has extensive experience representing sponsors and investors in syndicated real estate deals. Trevor, thank you again for your time. I'm grateful. You know, just somebody that's willing to come on and share your expertise and, and been in the business as long as you have. You know, why don't you give the listeners a little more about who you are, maybe where you're located, and let's let's jump into you know your unique skill set and some qualities that your firm has. Yeah, sounds good. So, Trevor Crow, as Whitney mentioned, and I'm an attorney here in Denver, Colorado, and I kind of grew up in the the Denver area for the most part, and went to uh, graduated from law school at Denver University in 2009 which is not a great year to graduate law school because of the downturn in the market there, but get to learn a lot about how the weather, the storm there. So that, that's been good experience and been practicing ever since then doing syndicated real estate deals and other business transactions. And, uh, you know, I found it, I started at several different firms in, in Denver or bounced around to several different firms. And uh, before I started my own firm this Crow Legal in February of 2018, and uh, now we're a, a small boutique uh, business transactions firm focusing on syndicated real estate deals. It's me and two other attorneys. And yeah, we just, we've been doing it through the uh, up and down cycles of real estate. And so it's, it's been a fun ride. Nice. Well, thanks again. And and I would like to just jump in. Uh, you know, before we started recording, you and I were talking a little bit about your firm and and just this business in general. And you know, you you were telling me about just some qualities of that your firm has that you felt were very important. And I just thought, okay, you know, let's focus on that because I know so many of the listeners and myself. I remember, you know, when you were getting started in this business, it can seem pretty overwhelming just building your team and and you know figuring out who those people should be. And and one very important, I mean, it just non-negotiable team member is your attorney and especially your securities attorney and you know somebody that's helping you with those legal documents but so let's just dive right in there and love for you to elaborate on that a little bit just the qualities you were talking about about your firm and and why those are important and and let's jump in yeah so you know i mentioned i, I was at different a uh, couple different firms before starting my own and and the first firm i was at i did more less real estate work and more just business transactions and so for several entities, just, you know, startup companies, engineering companies, or other sort of software companies, we, we would sometimes draft entity documents as LLCs. And so we, with that, we'd have operating agreements. And I thought I knew 
how to draft operating agreements. And then I, I went to a real estate firm and practiced there for a while. And I, and I quickly learned that a, a joint venture real estate operating agreement is, is way different than a operating agreement for, say, just your typical service type business or operating company. And so I think, you know, from our standpoint, one of, one of our unique abilities is, is that we understand real estate joint ventures and putting together those operating agreements, which I, I don't think some people think they do and, and haven't really dived into it as much as, as we have. And so it's hard to understand them. But the thing with real estate joint ventures and syndicated deals is one, you, you obviously have to understand the securities piece of it and make sure you're not getting your client in hot water there. But the operating agreement itself, because typically, you know, real estate deals are, are done through operating agreements or limited partnership agreements. Most of our deals are LLC agreements. And really, it's business term driven. And so, you know, the business terms drive the deal. And I think a lot of people or, or some people think that attorneys can just pull an agreement off the shelf and switch out names and they have their agreement there. But it's really not the case here because because it is so business term driven. And so you could have 10 deals and they all the operating agreements for every single one of those deals look far different from the other. So understanding the business of real estate and how this works is huge. And so you, you really want to have that uh, an attorney who understands that piece of it. And you know, those, those are going to vary depending on whether it's a ground up development deal. Is it a, a deal where you're going to grab, you know, buy an existing property, maybe add some value and then flip it. Is it a buy and hold strategy? I mean, all these sort of different business terms have to be memorialized in an operating agreement. And if you don't have the, that expertise and that knowledge from doing these deals and, and paying attention to what the market is, you're going to really be behind the eight ball and might might miss a, miss things or your attorney might. Yeah. So do you have an example or maybe, you know, just like how you all, when you started a draft operating agreement, why it was uh, so beneficial for you all to understand, say, the deal? I mean, obviously, you need to know a lot about the deal when you're drafting these documents because so much of it is unique, you know, I mean, is very unique per the structure of the deal, per the, I mean, the deal itself, location, all this, all those things and the team. But any examples of, of how, you know, it's so crucial that you understood the business and just understood the deal when when creating those documents? Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, so for one, we, we re represent both developers, promoters, and, you know, I kind of mix those terms together as, as the people or, or sponsors, sometimes people, the people who are bringing the deal to the table. And then we also in, uh, represent investors. And so we've been on both sides of the table there and, and argued on both sides of, of what should be in the agreements. But, you know, for example, we represented a promoter on a deal and, you know, this was early on in my career, you know, and, and I think it's even more important now thinking about this, the whole COVID environment and, and what's going on with that and how there can be downturns. But one of the important provisions that we had in, in an operating agreement for, for our client, there was no forced sale provision. And so when there's a downturn in the market, sometimes the best option is to hold, especially if you're the, you're the promoter of the deal, because as many of your listeners may or may not know, but the, you know, the way that promoters get paid, they sometimes get management fees, you know, acquisition fees or other fees that just come off the top. Right. But a lot of times their big, their big hit is the promote at the end of the day. So when they sell the property, you return capital, maybe you return a preferred return. And then there's a split, you know, whether it's 80, 20, 70, 30, whatever it is. And the promoter gets that 30 or 20% 
pop, which is their big payday, right? They've done all the work. They put all the work into this and they've developed this project and now it's time to sell. And if they sell it for this profit that can cover all the return of capital, preferred return items, then, then they get this big payday. Well, if it's a downturn in the market and the investors can force the sale, then there could be no promote. You know, maybe it's just return of capital, preferred return and a little bit off the top and, and investors walk away with money and developers put in all this work and doesn't get the big payday. And so we represented clients and had negotiated hard to get out those for sale provisions so they can make sure that they're selling in a market that's going to be ideal for them and to actually realize the, the benefits of it. So it's worthwhile to them to be able to hold on to the property for another year or, or 18 months or whatever it is to get a better market or whatever, even lease up more, or get whatever to, to get a better cap rate and sell that property so they can actually get paid. And so that's just one example, I think, of, of where we've helped out our clients to, to make sure that the business deal is memorialized properly into the agreement. Or what's a good way to know that our securities attorney understands deals like that? Because uh, I know that, I mean, you know, maybe they, is it just length of time in the business or, or is it, you know, maybe they've been part of some deals personally or what's something you would look for there? Yeah, well, I think you raised a good point there in, in the way that you phrased it because you, you mentioned securities attorneys and so, uh, you're a securities attorney. And so, you know, you really need somebody in my mind, either a firm that has somebody that's specialized in securities and then somebody separate who specialized in these joint venture operating agreements for real estate deals. Or you have somebody, you know, for example, the way I've practiced, I've done, I've done all of that. So when I was at you know, firms, the real estate firm that I was at prior to starting my own, you know, I was the guy who did the operating agreements and all the securities work. And that's the way I've, I've done it. And so you need somebody who understands both sides of it, either whether it's one or, or multiple people, but understanding the security side and the exemptions is, is certainly one thing. Understanding the business terms and, and what to write in that operating agreement is another. And so you want to ask questions about both of those. In my opinion, you want to make sure that you find somebody who not only knows the business side of real estate deals and can draft those operating agreements, but also has the securities expertise to make sure that when you're offering equity interests in a, in a LLC, that you're not running afoul of any of the securities laws. Would that be something that you would typically have in-house, like both of those things, specialties in, under one roof with one attorney? Or, or is that something that the listener may have to think about how, having two different attorneys for? Certainly, you may have to think about that depending on who you're talking to. Like for our firm, we have we have a, both of those expertise in, in our shop, and so we can we can handle both elements of that. Larger firms, you know, usually have separate attorneys that have that. Maybe one's doing the securities work and one's doing the, the operating agreement. But if you're you're dealing with a smaller shop or just a, a you know a real estate attorney, uh, there's a lot of times that real estate attorney doesn't do securities work. And so you want to make sure that they do, or if they don't do it, that they have somebody that does. So for example, you know, we work with other law firms that have real estate clients and that are doing syndicated deals, but they don't do securities work. And so they'll call us and we'll do just the securities work for them. They can do the operating agreement. They do the entity formation stuff and, and they're, they're comfortable with that. They're just not comfortable with securities work. And, and a lot of that boils down to your malpractice policy. Cause if you check the box that you do securities work to your malpractice insurer as an attorney, they're going to up your, your malpractice rate. Uh, so you're paying more, more premiums. So unless you're doing a decent amount of that work, it may not make sense to check the box there. And also, if you just don't have the competence in that area, you certainly don't want to check the box and, and try to practice in that area because there's a lot of 
a lot of pitfalls that you can that can happen there. So definitely an inquiry you want to make on both elements of that. And it, it will vary on, on firm and, and by attorneys on whether they have both of those expertise. Our guest is Stephen Robinson. Thanks for being on the show, Stephen. Thank you very much. Stephen is a born certified specialist in federal taxation law by the Ohio State Bar Association and president of Strategic Property Exchange, LLC. Ohio Bar Association born certified specialist in federal tax law since 2001, named six times Ohio's super lawyer by law of politics media in the area of taxation law from 2003 through 2008. It's impressive. Steve earned his BA degree and his JD degree from the University of Cincinnati and his LLM degree in business and taxation from the University of Bridgeport. Stephen, thanks so much for your time. I know that you're going to provide so much value to listeners and what we're going to discuss today, but give them a little bit about who you are, what your focus is right now, and let's dive in. Sure. Thank you very much. So I'm a tax lawyer and we also have an exchange company. And so when I say exchange company, that means that we help facilitate people who sell real estate, take those proceeds and reinvest them into other real estate so they don't have to pay the tax. And that, of course, is the big thing they love. If you can help someone save, you know, a million dollars in tax, so you have a friend for life and they'll send you Irish whiskey Christmas time every year. So anyway, so we handle these property transactions all over the country and overseas as well. And the, the way, if you had to pinpoint what it is that makes us different than other people, is that we will review every document, loan documents, every kind of document, operating agreements, to make sure that what the client wants to achieve is actually achieved. So we're not trying to put off their other advisors like CPAs or lawyers. We're here kind of a second pair of eyes to make sure that what they want to accomplish doesn't back it accomplished. Because typically, their other advisors have so many other clients that they can't keep on, on top of these quick changes where someone will call in at 245, the closing to three, by the way. By the way, I want to borrow twice as much money. Is that okay? And I want to go to Bimney with the money. Is that okay too? And then you have to like talk them off the cliff, right? Okay, no, you can't do that, right? Don't do that. Anyway, so our job is to kind of manage and monitor that process. Wow. So, you know, you brought up a great point too. I mean, you're reading every document, so you're making sure that the client, what the client wants actually happens. I know it's common that we don't read all the documents, right? If a PPM, private placement memorandum is a hundred pages, you know, how many people are actually reading that? Well, they're designed actually, so no one wants to read them, right? Because there's, there's actually subliminal go to sleep messages <laughs> on the pages, right? And you're like, you're, you're thinking, is that really an ancient Greek? Gosh, my Greek is kind of rusty. I don't know. So anyway, you have to force yourself to get through that. And a lot of it, we wouldn't understand even if we did read it. That's right. That's right. And that's what I mean. you do for people, right? I mean, you, you are reading that's those right. documents because you understand the Greek terminology and you can explain it and make sure we are, we're protected, really. We're getting what we're signing up for. That's right. So we translated it back into like standard English, you know, from words meant to confuse you into something that's basic. And as a consequence, you know, when the real estate market had, let's call it a downturn, right, 11 years ago, you know, our clients had, had gone into properties like these that were syndicated and none of our clients had any problems. I mean, none of them, none of their properties blew up because we were careful in making sure that we, they understood what they were getting and it was a solid investment. You know, I won't name names, right? That's not polite to name names, but the, the, some companies went under 
and the client suffered greatly. But those were not the ones that we had advised people on. Hmm. So can you give us some examples of documents that are like a must to be reviewed by somebody like yourself? You know, if I'm going into a, under a contract, I'm fixing to sign something, I'm fixing to invest. What are some documents that are like, okay, you know, I, I definitely need to contact somebody like yourself to, to review? So a good example, so far the better, of course, you have the purchase and sale agreement, which, of course, everybody would be looking at. But then a second one, let's say, is the operating agreement. So we had this recently. We had a sale of a, of a property in Texas, and in the operating agreement, there was two kinds of payouts. And there was a payout while the property was operating, which, was, which benefited the managers, and then there was a payout for the owners when the property was sold, where there was a 10% swing in the payout. And so when... The, and then the accountant had not picked up on that. So on the tax return, he showed the higher payout for the managers rather than the higher payout for the owners. And so when we were reading through it, we noticed that the client was entitled to an additional 10% of the sale proceeds, right? A big number, right? Because I think the property sold for $20 million or something. And so we were like, no, see, see the words here? It says he gets more, right? And that, of course, you know, was a, was a big stink when we discovered that. Another example is the loan documents, right? Where they say, I'm going to borrow a million dollars. And you say, that's great. That's just the right amount you need for your exchange. But then you read the loan document and it says, no, I'm, I'm borrowing $10 million, right? And I'm actually using the money to create a gold straddle partnership in the Ukraine, right? And you're like, no, no, wait, you can't borrow that additional money on this exchange because it's not going to the property. So, you know, loan documents, another example of, of tedious, boring documents you have to read operating agreements, other side agreements that suddenly appear out of nowhere. We have a side agreement. Can I see that? And then, you know, heretofore undiscovered document shows up. So a side agreement, would that be something like, you know, you get, we get the contract, whatever it may be, but then two weeks later we get this side agreement that maybe changes. It might say something like, I'm going to give, you know, 10% of the profits to this developer or something or someone who was involved in it originally and so many times what we'll say is, well, that's okay as long as it's treated as a profit interest because that can be treated as a sale expense. And as a you know, so you don't have to worry about do I now suddenly have a partner in the deal that I didn't know I had before? And then they would have to go forward into the new deal and they don't want to. And so again, it's it's kind of addressing who gets what and what does this mean? So who's your typical client? Is it most is it gonna be syndicators and Passive investors, or is it going to be mostly passive investors? Yeah, so it's, it's going to be owners of real estate, and it could either they can either be in the form of an entity like a partnership, or you know, a trust, or whatever it might be, or or in, in their individual names, and they could be people that are you know that are much older, and then they're looking to in the case of syndication, let's say for example the husband's passed away, and the wife wants to sell your forty apartment buildings and she wants to buy something that does not involve management. So it should be a typical investor going into a passive investment or people who inherited property years ago. It was a very common when the estate tax was much higher that people were gifting property left and right. So now they own this property since 1980 at a very low basis and now they're selling it because they're getting a good deal, but they don't want to manage the property. They have no understanding of how to manage property. They might be, you know, Orthodontist in Pasadena, California, right? They have no desire to like manage property. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Please subscribe and like the show. Share it with your friends so we can help them as well. Don't forget, go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up and start investing in real estate today. 
Have a blessed day.